1: And that's what Israel Restoration Ministries is all about. It's the graft them in again. Maybe we should call it Israel Graft them in again ministries, (laughs) okay? (laughs) It's quite a title, I know. So we say, and besides, you can't have something like erm then, you know, because I don't even know how that would... Anyway, and then if any Gentile receives the Lord Jesus Christ as God intended for the Jewish people, for all people, as God and as the Messiah Savior... Then he is graft into Israel, the church, graft into the church. that's Romans 11:17, Romans 11:17, which says, "And thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them and with them, and partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So this is how Gentiles become a part of the church, which is Israel, and by a process that God calls grafting in. And this is how Jewish people become not a part of Israel, the church, by a process called being broken off or cut off. But thank God that there is also the process of being grafted in again. So with the blessing of Jacob, Israel, the church expands now to be the sons of Jacob. And here in Egypt, the church or Israel will greatly expand. It's going to explode there. As this patriarch father, as Jacob now, he sees his death approaching. He looks to give his sons his sons, to pass on to them the most valuable possession that he has on earth, which are not sheep and goats and and camels, but it's the blessing of God. It's the blessing of God. So in verse one, someone brings Joseph this message about his father. In verse one, it says, "It says one told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick. Thy father is sick. Now it's interesting, the word that's used there for sick, which is the word challah. How many people know what challah is? You ever eat challah? (laughs) It's okay. You have to go down to DZ Aiken's to the bakery and ask them for challah. And they're not going to make you sick to die, but (laughs) they'll give you a loaf of bread. Do you know, you ever seen challah? How it has the, yeah, right. The braided on the top. It's braided on top. That's the root meaning of challah. It means twisted and braided. Its root meaning is really, here it's used that Jacob has been wrung out. He's been twisted. He's been, he's worn out to the point of death. So that's why it uses the word. Uh, Jacob, Joseph then immediately comes and he brings his sons. It says in verse one, he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. I mean, can't you picture Joseph here? He, he gets this news that his father is dying deathly ill. And Joseph turns to his sons and said, get ready, we're going to go see grandpa. We see here in this Joseph bringing his two sons is, is a picture of a father who is really caring for his sons. Joseph is caring for his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He doesn't want to lose his sons to the world, which is a very great danger. It was a very great danger for these two in particular, Manasseh and Ephraim. He doesn't want to lose them. He wants his sons... With their Egyptian mother, he wants his sons to live. He wants his son to live with God, and just as Abraham wanted his son with his Egyptian mother Hagar, he wanted his son to live, and that's why in Genesis seventeen eighteen, Genesis seventeen eighteen, that Abraham prays to God, and Abraham said unto God, "Oh that Ishmael might live before Thee." This is the heart of a true father here who above everything else in life he wants his children to live with god and so what we see in joseph he's doing here is he's bringing his two sons to have this special time this time alone with their godly grandfather this meeting is should have a lasting influence be imprinted on them to influence his sons to choose god instead of egypt so joseph he's he, what he's trying to do here is to set the die set the mold with his two sons that would later affect generations after him. And there's one man who's going to come out of these future generations, and he has the name of Moses. And he's going to make a decision that Joseph is trying to instill in his two sons here, and that decision is memorialized in Hebrews 11.24. Hebrews 11.24, where it says about Moses' decision, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, you son of Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, not me. I, I reject that. I turn it down. Throw it on the ground. I don't want it. I don't want that title, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He says he refuses that. And then Hebrews eleven twenty-five, 25, Hebrews eleven twenty-five 25 goes on to say, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, the key words in there, choosing to be with the people of God, to be with the people of God, rather than to, to be with the Egyptians and enjoy all the pleasures of sin. It says that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ, the reproach of Messiah, the reproach of God, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. See, that's what Joseph is trying to instill into his sons. He wants them to make the decision that Moses later would make. So it's a very tender scene here. It's a very, very tender scene. It's intimate. It's a loving father, Joseph, caring for his sons in a very special way to bring him to see their grandfather, his father, as he's dying. You know, some people think well, you know, young people should be shielded from old people. It's not good to bring young people. Old people is very depressing, you know, especially when they're close to death. But This is not what Joseph thought. This is not what Joseph thought. Therefore, he brought his two sons to be to the dying father, Jacob. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for young people to be around old people. It's a good thing. You know, we homeschooled our kids for 14 years and begin to sort of see some characteristics about kids who have been homeschooled versus, versus go to public school. For one thing, kids who have been homeschooled, they gravitate very naturally to older people. They interact well with adults and because that's really who they're mainly with today. And when they do that, it's a good thing because then the adults pass on the years of wisdom, encourage them. They teach them. What you have now is that young people spending, they say on average seven hours of the day on this thing, on their smartphones, you know, which is not smart <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Seven hours per day on their smartphone or on their computer. And what happens when they do all that is that they go into the young people go into these worlds, these totally different worlds. You know, I mean, this thing has got worlds in it. You know, you open this thing up and you know, there's worlds. In here, they, that they go into worlds of video games and worlds of fantasies and texting with people they've never seen before, and that's not good. That's not good for their souls. Or when young people today they 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 become they watch television, they watch movies, and they go into worlds that are not reality, like the world of Star Wars with these outlandish. But bringing young people into the world of old people, that's good for their souls. That's good for their souls. Because an old person, especially an old saint, who's walked with God and who has experienced God's goodness during his life can bring a special encouragement to a young person by telling them about the stories about how God done this in their life and done that in their life and saved them from this and opened this door and all these kind of things. It's wonderful. I mean, I remember when I was saved, I was 19 back in September of 1970. I was saved at Emmanuel Baptist Church. This is a, a church down at the beach at, on, uh, in Crown Point. And, uh, at Emmanuel Baptist Church, they had a very large beach outreach, beach outreach through Pastor Von Trutzler. Anybody remember him? You remember him, Gene? You remember? It? Okay, Clint. Boy, you are older. <laughs> Von Trutzler, and um, a very big outreach there, and there were just literally hundreds, about 300 young people from the beach that were the age of Cheryl and I, and they would have their meetings at the church, and they would play their guitars, and they would sing the song, It Only Takes a Spark to Get a Fire Going. That's what they would do. And, and that was good, and, and many young people were being saved in the church through that and through that outreach. Uh, some today are still on the mission field and saved through that outreach. It was wonderful. But when I looked at that, I said, you know, I want more than it only takes a spark to get a fire going. So I looked at the various classes that were being taught there at the church, and I found that there was this one. They had a pastor there it called Pastor Potion. Anybody remember Pastor Apotion? Okay, Pastor Apotion's class and. I was sort of fascinated with him because he was an Arminian from Europe, spoke with an Arminian accent, and he taught the seniors class because he was a senior. And the first time I went into that class and I heard Pastor Potion, and he wasn't teaching complex theological concepts, but he was using simple scriptures in his class, like Psalm 1816. Psalm 1816, I remember he was teaching on Psalm 1816 where it says, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. And he taught from that scripture on this particular morning about how God had brought him out of many waters in Europe when the Nazis invaded his city and how he was able to live for God and how God protected him. And that was so interesting for me. I mean, he he taught about... How to use the scriptures and how to pray in your life. I mean, I couldn't get enough of that. And that I found what I was looking for. So there I am in this class of 80 year olds. You know, I'm 19 and Cheryl's 21. And in fact, we were the amusement of the class. You know? We were the only ones in the class who weren't taking geritol when pastor, as he was teaching this about the Lord drew him out of many waters. And he asked the class, well, how has the Lord done that in your life, drawn you out of many waters? And Eve Rule was in that class, and she raised her hand, and she says, well, when I was born, my mother's bag of waters broke. (laughs) And drew me out of many waters. I still can remember Pastor Potion laughing and laughing at that statement. But as a young person, that's what I needed, to hear from an older saint how this worked, how this worked in his life how God had delivered him, how God had, had been good to him. Well, this is what Joseph has in mind as he brings his two sons to Jacob, who's dying. I mean, Joseph wanted his sons to hear from an old saint, his father, who had walked with God, how you walk with God through life. He wanted his sons to be indelibly impressed, marked for life when they heard from their own grandfather, Jacob. I mean, after all, These two boys grew up in Egypt, and they didn't have the privilege of having quality time with their grandfather. So now Joseph brings them in to hear from granddad, the saint who walked with God. I mean, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing when a father exposes his children to people that he wants his children to grow up to be like. So for these two grandsons, just imagine them, how excited they are, you know, big-eyed, and oh, you know, (laughs) Jacob was bigger than life to them. Very special time, very special time for them. There's a lot of excitement going on, is Jacob's, and now we turn to Jacob, as he's told, Joseph is coming, Joseph is coming in verse two. One told Jacob and said, behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee, and Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. I mean, Just imagine the thrill for Jacob as he hears, your favorite son is coming, the one that for such a long time was separated from you, is now coming to visit you. So like I said, Jacob is holla, he's weak, he's very weak, with this tender meeting about to happen. He just musters all the strength he can, and he tries his best he can to get himself ready to meet Joseph. And what that means is that all the strength that he can muster is just to, to move from this lying down position to sitting up in bed. And I probably have some servants that help him and, and get some pillows propped underneath him so he can sit on his bed. And as soon as Joseph is in the room, it's very interesting what happens in verse three. Joseph comes in the room with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and as soon as Joseph gets in the room, before Joseph can even get a word out at all, Jacob speaks. He just speaks right away. I mean, Joseph is coming, Joseph's initiative, you know, come and he starts speaking in verse 3. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me in Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. I mean, this is so remarkable. I mean, you know, there's no like, oh, Joseph, good to see you. How are you? How have you been? What's new? None of that. Joseph comes in the room. He looks at him, and he looks straight at him, and he says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. And Joseph was saying, yeah, but I'm appearing to you now. (laughs) But no, Jacob says, God Almighty appeared to me. So remarkable. Here's a dying man who barely has the strength to sit up in bed, and his favorite son, Joseph, comes in, and Jacob doesn't even let him say a word. And instead, Jacob starts off with this great excitement that he has. So verse three is really Jacob so excited to tell Joseph. It's like he's saying, Joseph, I have a very important message to tell you. What is it, Dad? Joseph, I don't know why you came, and I don't know what you have to tell me, but I have something very important to tell you. I have something critical to tell you. I'm so excited to tell you. Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. Joseph knew that. He'd heard it a hundred times. He'd heard that before from his father. He knew that. But Jacob can't get over it. That's what we're seeing in verse 3. Jacob can't get over it. He's so excited. He wants to tell Joseph again, God really appeared to me. He really appeared to me, Joseph. Joseph, do you understand? God appeared to me. He's so thrilled. Now, verse 3 is really wonderful for us. Because what we see in verse 3 is Jacob, is acting like a kid. He's acting like a child that's so thrilled with the fact of God. He's just thrilled. This is a picture here, if you, for us here, of what God wants us to have as his first love. His first love. God had a terrible, terrible, terrible accusation against the church of Ephesus. May it never be said to any of us what was said of the church of Ephesus. In Revelation 2. In Revelation 2.1. Revelation two, 1, it says, the Lord said, under the church, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. It's gotta be written down, no less. It's even worse. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven go- g- candlesticks, golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor. So now listen, think about this. Works, labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and has tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Well, that sounds really good. That's great. You know, I mean, uh, he, God says, "Boy, your works, mm, those are good works. Oh, your labor, wow, you just, you know, you go to you exhausted." Your patience, oh, you're so patient. And you can't tolerate what is evil and expose heresy and wrong doctrine. And They're liars. It's wonderful. You haven't fainted. But then it would be nice if it stopped there, but it doesn't. He says in verse four, Revelation 2.4, Revelation 2.4, he goes on, nevertheless, now this is the painful part. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. That's bad. Remember therefore from once thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Now where did they fall from? Their first love. What did they forget? Their first love. What should they do the works of? The works of their first love. Or else I'll come quickly unto thee and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Very serious. So they had, so here's this church, perfect orthodoxy, doctrine or statement of faith was even something that Gary Coombs would have approved of, you know. The Church of Ephesus had a perfect record of works. They, they worked themselves the bone for the Lord, but the Lord had a terrible, terrible, terrible accusation against them when they lost their first love. So what does that mean? They lost their first love. It means that in the church of Ephesus, there was no childlike excitement with God that Jacob is showing here in verse three. In the church of Ephesus, they all they talked about was all that religious stuff. You know, that's how they referred. They would have said to Jacob, oh, you're gonna tell me all about that religious stuff again. There was no overwhelming marvel about God. Jacob is on display here in verse three. In the church of Ephesus, as someone preached on You know what happens? Their eyes would glaze over with this look of, we've heard that before, you know, (laughs) that look, you know. That's why the church of Ephesus, they lost their first love. And that's why what we see in Jacob, verse three, is that Jacob did not lose his first love because Jacob's all excited to tell Joseph again and as he told him many, many times before what happened, but he's telling it with the excitement like it was the first time we see in verse verse 3 is a pattern for how we should be how we should act in verse 3 i mean when we read the scriptures we should have that same thrill that we read it for the first time you know not a, a ho hum you know start the verse and i'll finish it for you because i've heard it a million times and i've memorized it when we sing the hymns when we sing these great songs these great hymns these great works word us, We should have that same thrill that we had when we discovered it for the first time, not singing that sounds like a mortician in a funeral home. And this is what's so important to see about verse 3, is this excitement that Jacob has. It reminds me of my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin, who I got to know when he was 12, before he went home to be with the Lord three years later when he was 15 from osteosarcoma cancer. And I remember the times that we would spend together, that I would spend with him in Washington, D.C. He was adopted by my lawyer, Mary Louise and Bruce Cohen. And he would tell me something that he was thinking about. And it was always from the Gospels. It was always from the life of the Lord Jesus. And it was so great because when Tomeskin would tell me, and do you know what he did? You know, his eyes would light up. His eyes would light up as he told me again. You know, he fed, there were thousands of people, there were 5,000, and he fed them with just a little bit of bread. It was so great. I said, no, Temeskin, tell it to me, because I just wanted to see his excitement. And, you know, for Temeskin, it wasn't that way. He was just constantly reliving the thrill of the Lord Jesus, and that's what Jacob's doing here. He's reliving the thrill of when God first appeared to him, and that's what we should do. From When we read the Bible, we should relive the thrill the thrill of it all. And, 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 and so this is Jacob. So verse three is, is, you want to give a title for verse three,
0: it's Jacob Can't Get Over It. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.
2: Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619 619- 599-1104 1104 Or sign up at ReachIsrael.com That's ReachIsrael.com
0: What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on youtube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at
2: friendshipwithgod.org. Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, Full color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95 and receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, Call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com.